wonder if you know what it's like to be speaking to someone and to feel like they're hearing you but they're not really hearing. I suspect you do. Sometimes the person you're talking to is just distracted. What we're saying is going in one ear but it's going out the other. Sometimes it's because the person we're talking to just doesn't understand what we're saying. Uh, They're listening to us but they're just not really getting what we mean. And it's often that way when we talk to people about spiritual things. I had a very memorable experience like this a few years ago. I met a couple who wanted to get married and they came to me because they wanted to think about how God might fit into their life as a married couple as they thought about their life together. I'll call them Michael and Kathy. And Michael and Kathy seemed very genuine. Uh, They really wanted to think about the Christian faith Um, I met with them several times. We talked about Jesus, talked about what it meant to be a Christian. Uh, And throughout that whole process, they seemed really attentive. Um, I would have said interested. But at the end of it all, they they didn't want to be Christians. They went away quite happy to carry on with the way they'd been going without Jesus holding the steering wheel. And I went away wondering whether they'd heard me but not really heard me and this next section of Matthew's gospel is all about how we hear it's about hearing God's word and responding to it in the way that Jesus thinks we should chapter 13 starts like this that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake and such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore and then he told them many things in parables. It's interesting that Jesus went out just like the farmer at the start of Jesus' parable went out. And that's because Jesus is actually embodying the story that he's about to tell. Jesus is himself sowing the seed of God's word. And when Jesus goes out to speak, he, he comes to this great horde of people. And in that crowd, there would have been disciples of Jesus, those who'd already decided they wanted to follow him. And in that crowd, there would have been people who were, you know, still checking Jesus out, not sure if he was worth following, not sure if he was really who he said he was. And there would have been people in that crowd who were dead set against Jesus. They weren't really keen to follow him, but they wanted to keep their eye on him. And significantly, it's to that mixed crowd of people that Jesus addresses this first parable, a parable that's all about the different ways people respond to his words. And it's a parable about a sower, a farmer who goes out to sow his seed on his farm and he scatters it in in four different places with four different results. It's a pretty famous story. You've probably heard it before. Some seed falls where it produces no crop and other seed is sown where it bears much fruit. And if we didn't know any better, we might say it was a story about the difference between good gardening and bad gardening. But in a little while, Jesus will tell us exactly what the story is about. But first, he has this little word of exhortation for us. Did you notice verse 9? Whoever has ears, let them hear. And we've heard that exhortation in Matthew's Gospel before. And as if Jesus is saying, don't just hear... I want you to really hear. And what happens next is we get this little detour. Before Jesus explains what the parable of the sower means, 
The disciples come to him and they ask him why he does it like this, why he speaks in parables. And Jesus' answer is pretty surprising. If someone asked you that question and you hadn't read these verses, you'd probably say that Jesus speaks in parables to help make his teaching clear and memorable. Everybody knows that a sermon's easier to listen to if it's got a good story in it. But Jesus' answer to his disciples' question is disarmingly different to that. Verse 11, he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. So Jesus starts this answer pretty strangely. He tells the disciples that there are kind of just two groups of people in the world. And on the one hand, he says, there are people like them. People who've been, Jesus says, given the secrets of the kingdom. God has revealed himself to them. You might remember Jesus talked about this back at the end of chapter 11. Remember chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus prays to God and he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And Jesus' point back then is that knowing the secrets of the kingdom is not some achievement to be proud of, but a gift to be grateful for. And, And what he's saying here in chapter 13, verse 11, is that some people have been given that gift but others have not. Jesus then says something that I think is probably even more strange. Verse 12, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Uh, Whoever has is a reference to those people who have the secrets of the kingdom, those Jesus just mentioned. And he says these people will have more and more knowledge of the kingdom But those who don't know the secrets of the kingdom, even the little bits of knowledge about Jesus and his kingdom that they might have, these will be taken away from them. And then I think what we have in the next few verses is Jesus expanding on this point. Uh, In verses 13 to 15, he's telling us more about those who don't have and in verses 16 to 17, telling us a little bit more about those who do. So firstly, verses 13 to 15, Jesus is referring back to the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah and he quotes there from Isaiah chapter 6. And in that chapter, you could go back and read it, Isaiah was called by God to speak words to the people of Israel that they would not understand. And that's because God was judging them, judging them because they'd become a very hard-hearted people. God had spoken to them repeatedly They had not listened to him. They hadn't responded as they should. And so Isaiah describes them as people whose hearts had become calloused. And as a result, God resolved to punish their hard-heartedness with more hard-heartedness. And their further hard-heartedness led them further away from the healing they could have if only they turned to God. Their failure to really hear God is met by God's refusal to reveal himself and thus his refusal to heal them. And Jesus is saying here that there are people there in his own day who were just like those ancient Israelites. Verse 13, though seeing, they don't see. Though hearing, they don't hear or understand. 
In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Jesus' diagnosis is that the people in his own day had calloused hearts and so the parables were like the words that Isaiah spoke in his day. They only served to further harden such people's hearts. We're inclined to think that Jesus tells parables to make himself clearer, but Jesus says to these people, I tell parables to make myself less clear. This is the judgment of God upon such people. To the ears of the callous-hearted, the parables seem just cryptic and confusing and this is God's intention. He's judging them even as Jesus speaks his word to them. This is Jesus explaining what he said in verse 12, that even what they have is being taken away. Some of the people in the crowd that day as Jesus spoke to them were people like Isaiah spoke to. And and they were people like Michael and Kathy, who I mentioned to you earlier. They just didn't really hear. But some did. And at the same time as the parables are judgment on some, they're revelation to others. And these are people like the disciples. And Jesus speaks to them in verses 16 and 17. And he says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but didn't see it and to hear what you hear but didn't hear it. People like the disciples, Jesus says, they're blessed. And even more blessed than faithful people in Old Testament times. Just as Jesus spoke to a mixed crowd on this occasion, some hearing, others not. It was the same in Isaiah's day. There were people with calloused hearts, but there were also righteous people who loved to hear God's word. There was certainly one righteous prophet. And Jesus is saying to the disciples here that they see even more than those righteous people did back then, even more than Isaiah did. Isaiah, he says, he looked forward with a prophet's eye to this day when God would send his Messiah. But Jesus' disciples actually were seeing him in the flesh. And Isaiah looked forward to the Messiah with sort of expectant ears, even though the coming of the Messiah was still hundreds of years away. But Jesus' disciples had the Messiah's words coming into their ears from less than 10 feet away. This is how Jesus explains what's going on as he speaks in parables. His stories were sifting these two groups of people. The parables sifted them even as they listened. That very day when the crowd heard the parable of the sower, some people just walked away scratching their heads. Hearing but not really hearing. Their hearts were hard and God made their hearts harder. They were a long way from healing. But there were others who walked away that day knowing more of the kingdom, seeing something, hearing something that ancient Israelites had longed to see and hear. They already knew something of it, but in Jesus' parable, they were given more. God was revealing himself to them and they weren't a long way from healing at all. They were tasting the blessing of God. 
And it's that latter group of people that Jesus then explains his parable. His disciples come to him and Jesus tells them what the parable of the sower means. And what Jesus shows them in this last section of our passage tonight is that there are four different places the seed fell in his story and they represent four different responses to hearing the message of the kingdom. So in the first place was the seed that fell on the path. Jesus explains this response in verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart and this is the seed sown along the path. Uh, Imagine a young woman named Mia. One of her friends, uh, Lydia, she finds an opportunity one day to share the gospel with her. And she listens with one ear, but she, she doesn't really understand what Lydia's talking about. And within minutes of the conversation, she's thinking again about what she's going to buy at the shops that afternoon. Though hearing, she doesn't really hear. She doesn't understand. And Jesus says, the evil one has snatched the word away. Secondly, there's the seed that fell on the rocky places. Jesus explains this response in verses 20 and 21. He says, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no roots, they last only a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Imagine a woman named Bobby. Uh, She works in an engineering firm in the city and she has a colleague named Andrew who one day invites her out to lunch. And at the end of the meal, he gives her this copy of John's Gospel with his favourite sections highlighted for her to read. He's sowing the seed. And, And when she walks away from the lunch, she feels quite moved by the kindness that he's shown her and really enthusiastic about reading the Gospel story. And she goes home that night and she gets through a few chapters before she drifts off to sleep and she reads a few more chapters the next day and more the day after and she feels this kind of uh, happiness in her spirit that she can't really explain. She's very drawn to the man Jesus that she's kind of reading about in the pages of this book. But a couple of weeks later, her mum suddenly goes into hospital and she gets very busy caring for her And she finds that new happiness she felt dissipating. And then one day she suggests to her dad that maybe she could read to her mum in her hospital bed a few little sections from this book she's got. And and her dad just tells her not to be ridiculous and asks her where she got this collection of fairy tales from anyway. And she starts to feel a bit embarrassed about her interest and less sure of its relevance to her life. And, And before you know it, Bobby has just stopped reading the gospel at all and after a little while she's not even thinking about it anymore and Jesus says there there was no chance for the roots to grow Uh, she didn't really count the cost she wasn't prepared to be a sheep amongst wolves as Jesus has said her early interest proved fragile and didn't last And then thirdly, there was the seed that fell among the thorns and was choked. Jesus explains that response in verse 22. He says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So imagine a guy named Drake. Uh, 
he's got a he's got a friend named Ben, and Ben occasionally invites Drake to church, and he occasionally talks with him about what he learns at church as well. And Drake doesn't like to be rude to Ben; he listens to him. Uh, he thinks about some of the things that Ben says to him, but you know he thinks about a lot of other things too. He thinks about the rising interest rates and whether he's going to have to cut out his regular wine order just to meet the repayments. He thinks about how he's dissatisfied with his job and he would probably like to find something else which pays a little better. And he thinks about his friends and the holidays they take and the restaurants they seem to go to every weekend and he feels a little bit envious. And Jesus says he's been deceived. Wealth has lied to this guy because wealth promises more than it delivers. Then there's the the fourth ground in the parable. The seed there falls on good soil and produces a crop. Jesus explains in verse 23, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So imagine an older woman named Helen and... Helen, one Friday evening's out for a walk and she passes the hall next to the local church and, and the lights are on in there and there's lots of young people who seem to be having quite a good time. So she decides she'll edge up and have a better look. And the next Sunday she just thinks, I'm just going to go to that church for a visit. And the people there are really kind to her and she takes in some of what the guy at the front says and it seems to make sense and... She goes back next week and she feels like she understands a little bit more. And a few months later, she's in a group with a few other women reading the Gospel of Matthew together and she just, she loves it. And, and a year later, she's, she's a regular and she looks forward to Sundays and she looks forward to the midweek group that she's in and she's even started reading the Bible for herself at home. And a year further down the track, she's she's keeping an eye out for those that are new at church, just like she was a couple of years ago. She really wants to help them feel welcome. And sometimes she prays that God would give her an opportunity to share her story with them. And sometimes God answers that prayer in the way she hopes. You notice Helen didn't just start out being joyful, but she continues to be joyful. And, And when trials come Helen's way, she has the the roots in the soil of God's word that will sustain and strengthen her. And and Helen had actually worked out that some of the things she used to think were really important or worrying just don't really matter as much as she thought they did. And, And Helen really wants to persevere with Jesus to the very end. She had the word, Jesus says, and she was given more. And she ended up with an abundance, enough to share. These are the four different responses that Jesus describes. But what I really hope you see tonight is that they really boil down to two different responses. There are those who hear the message of the kingdom and bear lasting, enduring fruit. And there are those who hear the word but don't bear enduring fruit. Those first three responses you see all have something in common. None of those people remain in the kingdom. They all end up like someone who's 
hearing but not really hearing. It's only that fourth response that is the one Jesus seeks. And that's because the parable is illustrating what Jesus was talking about in the middle section in verses 10 to 17. It's a parable about those two groups of people in the world. Those that have the kingdom's secrets and who grow to know the kingdom more and more, but then those who don't have the secrets of the kingdom and who find that even what they have in the end is taken away. There are those who hear Jesus and understand and embrace him, but there are those who don't in the end really hear Jesus at all. The very last time I met with Michael and Kathy, we actually read this parable together. And I asked them which kind of ground they thought they were. And with pretty unsettling honesty, they told me that they were like that third ground. They they could see the message of the kingdom was true and they said they believed it. But there were other things that were just more important to them at the end of the day. They had their dream home that they wanted to buy and they were working towards getting a deposit together had the wedding coming up, other things to just seemed to demand their more immediate attention. And they could see the response they were making, but they were unprepared to make a different response. And, and I feared their hearts were growing more and more calloused by the second. And tragically, we didn't meet again, and I just went away very sad. Very sad because I could see that they were still outside the kingdom. From inside the kingdom I could see, only because God had graciously opened my eyes, but I could see they were trading in the most precious gift of all for a promise of happiness that could never compare. I could see that they were rejecting Jesus' easy yoke and light burden and strapping on their backs a heavy burden that would lead them to restlessness rather than to rest. And I could see that they were rejecting the king of the kingdom and that one day they would have to answer to him for their rejection. They were outside the kingdom because they weren't really hearing the voice of Jesus. And and this section of Matthew is here to show us that that will often happen Not everyone who hears the gospel of Jesus believes it, welcomes it, and lives for Christ. I'm sure you know that. But Jesus expected that, and so should we. But chiefly, of course, this section of Matthew isn't here so we'll think about the responses of others. It's chiefly here so we'll think about our own response to Jesus' words. And he asks us to consider some questions. And so I want to finish tonight with two crucial ones. The first and most obvious question, I think, is this. Which kind of ground are you? Are you like that first ground and, and the word of God has really had no significant effect on your life at all, even though you may come to church? Are you like that second ground and... and You can remember a time when you received the word of God warmly, but you've really begun to ignore it because life is hard and the world you live in thinks you're silly for believing it. 
are you like that third ground and, and the word of God has just become hard to hear because there are so many other voices clamoring for your attention? Or are you like that fourth ground and, and the word of God is the root system of your life and it's producing fruit? What kind of ground are you? Now, can I just stop and say that if you think you're probably like one of those first three ground stories that Jesus tells, then what I really hope is that tonight you'll just allow Jesus to show you how he sees the pattern of your life. And I really hope you'll start to listen to him like you haven't listened to him before. I hope you'll come to Jesus and seek understanding because he longs to give understanding to those who truly seek him. And he longs to heal those who recognize they need healing. And he wants nothing but what's good for you. He wants you to bear fruit and be in his kingdom forever. So will you come to him? Now, if like me, you have embraced the word of Jesus and you know you are inside his kingdom, then I guess I want to remind you that you're not here because you deserve to be in any way. Make sure you remember that you're only here by the grace of his revelation. And, and know too that if you get distracted from his word or if it ever feels like life is choking his word out, he, he remains gracious. And he'll call you back again and again to the fruitful, joyful life that is born of hearing and treasuring his voice. So that's the, the first question. But, but the second crucial and perhaps less obvious question is not what kind of ground are you, but what kind of ground will you be? Because this is really a parable about the way people respond to Jesus over the whole course of their life. This is a parable about how you can respond to Jesus brilliantly to begin with, but not end up in the kingdom. You might be joyful about God's word right now, but Jesus wants to know what your attitude will be to his word when trouble comes down the track and life's falling apart around your ears. You might feel like the word has taken root in your life right now, but Jesus really wants to know whether there are other things growing up in your life right now which might one day choke the word. Jesus does want to know whether God's word is bearing fruit in you right now, but he also wants to know whether it'll be bearing fruit in your life in six months from now or in three years from now or maybe in 50 years from now. will you still be bearing fruit when he comes to take you home? Very important that we respond to God's word rightly tonight. But just as important, if not more, that we respond to Jesus' words every day of our lives. So I want to encourage you this evening to pray and to pray really regularly 
that you'll always have God's word bearing fruit in your life. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for each other. And I want to encourage you to find people in your life who will spur you on, rebuke you. For as long as life lasts, people who will keep taking you back to God's word. People who will urge you to obey God's word. They're the kind of friends you really need. And I want to urge you to nurture the kind of relationships and priorities in your life that will mean his word will be your constant companion and your constant guide and your constant delight. And just keep reading the scriptures. Read them disciplinedly. Read them humbly. Read them ravenously. Read them obediently. This parable Jesus tells invites us to answer these two questions tonight with a soft heart now and all your days. What kind of ground are you and what kind of ground will you be? Uh, At our staff meeting this week, we read some of Psalm 119 together again and verses 111 and 112 struck me as being Um, a beautiful summary of what I hope our testimony together would be. These are the words of the psalmist. He says, Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I'll pray. Father God, it's impossible for us to read these verses tonight and not to think of people that we know and love, so many of them, uh, some of whom have heard the gospel but who haven't really heard it, so many who are still outside the kingdom, whose lives aren't shaped by the words of your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you would mercifully send your Spirit to them and give us courage and wisdom to keep sowing seed. We pray that you would change their hearts. Father, we pray for ourselves tonight too. We pray that you would continue to cause the words of Jesus to bear lasting fruit in us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that your words would be our heritage forever, the joy of our hearts, and our hearts would be set on keeping your words to the very end. Amen.